covered a great many jurisdictions on this podcast. You know the kind, usually smaller economies in the grand scheme of global economics. Some might call them emerging, others developing. But when it comes to their transfer pricing, things get tricky because what they're asking for in their requirements doesn't match their preferences. And on top of all that, those requirements and preferences might seem pretty lenient on the surface. Their actual tax authority, not the most stringent, all things considered. That is until they ask you to submit your transfer pricing documentation for an audit. Then the hammer comes down. Today's jurisdiction, Vietnam, falls into this category, but they don't have the relationship with the global economy that a few jurisdictions, say Israel or New Zealand, that we've covered on this show recently have. Of course, there are very good reasons for that, but we'll leave history lessons to Ken Burns and longer podcasts. You came here for the specifics of Vietnamese transfer pricing, to which we at Cross Border say, ask and you shall receive. Along the way, you can also receive CPE credits for listening to today's show. Here's how it works. We're planting three CPE code words throughout the program. Send all three to The Fiona Show. That's all one word. The Fiona Show at XBS. Dot AI. Again, that's the Fiona show at xbs.ai. We have chief economist from Cross Border Solutions, Mimi Song, on today's program here to walk us through the specifics. We'll hear from her in a moment. But first, here's the latest on transfer pricing in the news. While the U.S. just elected number 46, Panama is becoming number 56. The country is the 56th nation to accept BEPS multilateral instrument. What does this mean for Panama's existing bilateral tax treaties? The answer is simple change. The document comes with some new terms, specifically provisions aimed at warding off tax avoidance by multinationals. Hopefully this will give Panama the kick in the you know what it needs to resolve double taxation claims by multinational groups. And Panama isn't the only jurisdiction seeing treaty modifications. According to the OECD, the MLI's ripple effect has prompted nearly 600 bilateral treaty revisions across 56 jurisdictions in Panama isn't wasting any time becoming lucky number 56, the MLI will go into effect on March 1st, 2021. Here's a deadline you won't want to forget. December 4th. It's the last day the Colombian tax office, known as Dion, will accept registration for commodities agreements. If this isn't a procrastinator roll call, I don't know what is. On the bright side, Dion has been holding the taxpayer's hand throughout the process. This August, it issued Form 2573 to help streamline the registration process. And a month later, it released an official letter to iron out any confusion, specifically clarifying the form is only required if the cup method is used for the commodity transactions transfer pricing analysis or if the transaction doesn't meet the local file reporting threshold. Threshold. But don't take Dion's kindness for weakness. Word is that taxpayers who fail to register will have to pay the transaction price set for them. 
a drawn out legal battle is finally put to rest. The full federal court of Australia has sided with the taxpayer in the Glencore versus Australian Taxation Office appeals case. Here's what you need to know. The ATO called out the mining company for its 2007 to 2009 transactions with group member company Cobar Management. Their argument? Glencore and Cobar changed the terms of their contract in 2007 and the new terms weren't arm's length and wouldn't have been made if Glencore and Cobar were independent parties. Ouch. Much to the ATO's dismay, the federal court ruled in favor of Glencore in September 2019, freeing them from a $92 million tax bill. The ATO appealed the decision, landing them in court again with Glencore, and well, you know what happened there. While the latest judgment is a sigh of relief for businesses operating in Australia, something tells us the ATO is going to be buckling down even more on transfer pricing matters. Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University Weekly. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai tpu. We're joined again on today's program to talk about Vietnam as a tax jurisdiction by none other than cross-border solutions own chief economist Mimi Song. And I know, Mimi, we do TPU together and we talk to each other a lot, but it's so great to have you back on the program. Well, this time it's not awkward because, you know, it's not like people are staring at my face and listening to your voice. So Exactly. <laughs> You can do this in your pajamas, That's although right. we don't recommend that at Cross Border Solutions. We have a, a pro work from home and get dressed policy. <laughs> now, there's so much going on this year, even before COVID with regard to transfer pricing. There was the OECD's Pillar 1 and Pillar 2 proposals, countries implementing documentation, Doc 6. What are your clients most concerned about right now? It's such a hard question to answer. I mean, you can pick any of those things and everyone would voice their concern about each and every one, right? The pillar one and pillar two blueprint. I think, you know, since that's a, still in its infancy stages, there's questions about, you know, adoption at this point and what the implications are. So perhaps the biggest burning issue right now might even be Doc six, right? And so the mandatory disclosure requirements related to Doc six, which is another layer of compliance burden for all of these different jurisdictions. Now, I mean, that's on top of the transfer pricing documentation and the local legislation changes. So all of it sort of comes together. And, and then COVID, I mean, the pandemic, that's always going to be a challenge right now. I mean, that's just from a business perspective. 
of of concern in terms of what are the future implications? How is this going to continue to impact my business? Um, is this going to be, you know, am I going to be able to operate normally or are we really, uh, do we have to rethink how we operate under this concept of a new norm, right? So there's there's so many different challenges happening and, and it's pretty exciting in some ways. I know some of these things are, 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 are negative challenges within our, our economy, but at the same time, I mean, just purely from a geek perspective, it's exciting, <laughs> a transurbizing <laughs> geek perspective. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course. And and just to geek a little bit more here, I think COVID has provided a moment for companies of all stripes to not just rebuild, but rebuild smarter and come back even stronger than they had before. But underneath the headlines that we see everywhere, what are the trends you are observing in transfer pricing? given the year we've had so far? Well, I don't know if anything's not necessarily percolating on, on people's radars, but definitely people being concerned about how the their results, their financial results and their transfer pricing results are going to be impacted as a result of COVID. Have they done a sufficient level of planning or anticipated the financial impact to ensure that they're not going to be challenged on a country specific basis, right? So that's something that I think a lot of multinationals have have kept in the back of their minds. But now, now that they've gotten through the worst of it, if you will, the, the first wave where everything sort of shut down and, and people are accustomed to operating in this remote environment. Some people are actually going back to the office, right? And depending on which states you're in, but now that they have some room to actually breathe and think more strategically, now there is a more of a focus on, okay, so let's start checking off these boxes related to the compliance requirements. Let's let's take a look at this a little more strategically. Now that we know that the business is going to stay in business, <laughs> first and foremost, we have to start thinking about what, what needs to happen so that we don't get challenged in other ways. Right. And you've seen this in guidance from the OECD with the oncoming wave of COVID-19 across the world, not just in the United States, but in the United States especially. It's still in contrast to March, or at least when everyone was encountering the challenges of coronavirus the first time, it seemed as though there was a giant freak out about value chains and supply chains. And everyone thought, for lack of a better way of putting it, they would go to hell. And that didn't turn out to be the case. And now that we've kind of seen how bad it could get, there's some confidence out there now. Right. Well, I think I think companies have taken precautionary measures right in anticipation. And and it's and it's good because it's it's disaster planning in a lot of ways. And and in reality, I mean, this is this is disaster planning for all industries. But if you go back to like the recession from 2008 and where, you know, basically the, the collapse of the financial markets and maybe that's a little bit too extreme, but <laughs> the near collapse of the financial markets. But as a result of that, there was this need to create this disaster recovery plan for financial markets. And now we're talking about a disaster recovery plan really for all global economic activity, right? 
Right. And and I think whether it's on the personal level or the company wide level, everyone's having this moment of reckoning with their house cleaning tasks with all things COVID. And whether it's your bathroom or your closet, (laughs) it's true. It's got to get cleaned. It does. And that goes for intercompany agreements, too. You know, it's 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 funny you mentioned that, actually. So my my husband pre-COVID never really cleaned the bathrooms. And now he's. (laughs) He, he has participated in the cleaning of the bathroom. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to get him in trouble. And that's my job in my apartment. I clean the bathrooms. So it's just given me all the more peace and poise to do it. Uh, but this is a particular environment, bottom line here. We talk all the time on Transfer Pricing University about the common documentation mistakes that MEs make. Is there one that MEs are particularly prone to in this environment of COVID? I, I, I do. I actually I think it's interesting because you're starting to see some extremes here, right? Cavalier attitudes of, well, you know, we're in a pandemic. No one's going to audit us. Well, that's not true, and that's a that's a huge mistake to underestimate the risk of audit given the current environment, right? Um, so it, while we see that under normal situations, it's still very, uh, it, it's, it's still, a, I, I think, a bigger issue in the current environment that you are even more at risk right, because of the volatility in the market conditions that are going to have an impact to your organization. And just interrupting briefly for our first CPE code word, and that code word is sapiens, as in the homo sapien fossils that have been found in Vietnam famously that date from 500,000 BC in caves in Lang Son and Gie An provinces of northern Vietnam. And to that point, I, I, I think a, a general trend we've seen in and out of the headlines is that the countries that actually offered the most relief to MNEs in the time of COVID are actually among the most aggressive jurisdictions off the top of my head, Canada and Australia. Absolutely. Where, what, is, what does Australia call it? We've talked about this before too, Matt. They call it transfer mispricing, right? So <laughs> it tells you a lot about the thought process from the tax story perspective about how they're viewing this, how they're viewing intercompany transactions uh, and how they think that, you know, it's, it is the duty of a multinational operating in their particular jurisdiction to pay their fair share of taxes. And, and yes, it is, it is a duty, but, and, but it's it's the idea that companies are, are really taking advantage and manipulating the tax arbitrage situation. Indeed, as we've seen in big headlines for some very big names and some big damage to reputation. Now, turning to the subject of today's podcast, Vietnam is not a member of the OECD, notably, but it has a relationship with the OECD guidelines that is distinct. I think it's fair to say. It does. I mean, I mean, if you think about they're not a member, but the OECD guidelines really was a catalyst for establishing the transfer pricing framework in a lot of jurisdictions, including countries like Vietnam, especially, you know, when you think about Vietnam as an economy, it would be considered an emerging market economy. And part of that is, is you know, these emerging market economies ultimately are taking this information, the OECD guidelines, the enhancements to the United Nations, transfer pricing 
guidelines as well. And now they have the knowledge to be able to apply it locally. Um, in fact, I think for Vietnam specifically, they had released a decree back in April 2017, specifically addressing transfer pricing requirements, right? And so that timing is right in line with the adoption of the OECD BEPS Action 13 across many jurisdictions. So you can see that they were absolutely heavily influenced by that, and they did not want to miss out on this opportunity, if you will, um, to make sure that they were also going to get their fair share of taxable income. Indeed. Now, when it comes to BEPS Action 13, is that a set of OECD guidelines that Vietnam has adopted in some manner? It is. So BEPS Action 13 specifically, we talk about this all the time. It's the master file, local file, country by country reporting. It is specifically the key action that helped that ultimately helped Vietnam establish their their framework for this decree related to arms length pricing. It is something that Vietnam has taken into consideration. And given that they've adopted, you know, contemporaneous documentation requirements, right? Annual documentation requirements. They've adopted the framework for country by country reporting. So they want to understand that level of information, the same level of information that's being requested for larger multinational organizations that have their presence locally in Vietnam, right? So it's it's funny. I mean, traditionally speaking, Vietnam was not a country that had a huge barrier to entry. And a lot of multinationals would have been able to set up their operations there. And, and all the transfer pricing rules were probably a, a little more lackadaisical before this new decree before the OECD BEPS action plan, right? But now you're talking about a pretty different environment because they have this awareness that now multinationals are looking at Vietnam as another opportunity to create a low-cost operation. And it seems as though the Vietnamese regulations allow for that and are calling to that. At the same time, there is a distance, some might call it arm's length, between themselves and the international community, at least when it comes to their language requirements, where their neighbors have some allowance for English in their language requirements. Vietnam only has Vietnamese. Yeah, it, it is. And, and, and that makes sense, given that it's not a, a country that is predominantly an English-speaking country. So they, they need that documentation in Vietnamese, first and foremost, to make sure that they can read it properly and understand the context. Because what their main focus is on making sure that they understand how to audit companies from a substance perspective. They don't have to worry about educating their tax authorities from a language perspective too, right? So they wanna, they wanna get over that threshold. Indeed, and, and we reach the point where there's an obvious history there that might be summarized by a geopolitical focused podcast. But for our purposes, we turn to thresholds. And this is always interesting because this is where we can tend to read the tea leaves of a country's transfer pricing vis-a-vis -vis their economic goals. Yes. So they basically have applied a threshold in terms of the documentation requirement, right? So ultimately, when they, Vietnam has initiated or established a, a threshold for requiring transfer pricing documentation, companies that have less than total revenue 
of 50 billion Vietnamese dong, which is roughly equivalent to about 2.2 million US dollars. If their revenue is under that, they do not have to prepare transfer pricing documentation. The other threshold could be if they have less than 30 billion dong of related party revenue, right? And actually that, that ratio is unique because it's $50 billion of total revenue and then 30 billion dongs of related party revenue. So they're basically saying you have to be a company that is at least this large and majority of your revenue is coming from intercompany transactions. That's sort of their their threshold for requiring transfer pricing documentation. But that amount sounds like a lot. 50 billion Vietnamese dong, once again, 2.2 million. That's not that significant. And 30 billion Vietnamese dong is also about $1.3 million, roughly. Right. And in the grand scheme of the Vietnamese economy, this separates the wheat from the chaff in terms of multinationals worth going after their transfer pricing, of course. Now... What about specific transfer pricing disclosures? Does Vietnam require any, or is it just the BEPS documentation? They do. They have very explicit forms, right? So they have a form, the form one, which is the the actual disclosure on the related party relationships and transactions. They also have a form that really is is a checklist for the local file documentation, a form that serves as a checklist for the master file documentation. And then a form, which is the equivalent of the country-by-country reporting form. And that's for companies who have a ultimate parent company in Vietnam. And that headquarter company is subject to country-by-country reporting, which is required for companies who have an ultimate parent company in Vietnam if they have global consolidated revenue of at least, I hope I get this right, 18 quadrillion Vietnamese yes. song. <laughs> yes, you have that right. It's one of those countries where you, you can have a lot of fun. Very large. Yes, yes uh, you can have a lot of fun with the exponents and exchange rates. Uh, but it's always fun to say the word quadrillion in a proper context. That, that, that's right. I mean, but but for everybody who's trying to do the conversion in their head, it, it's basically in line with the OECD guidelines, which is around 750 million euros or 750 million US dollars in this based on the current exchange. A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai/rd. That's xbs.ai/rd. Now, we tell everyone to file contemporaneously anywhere, but what are the contemporaneous documentation deadlines for Vietnam? Actually, the the contemporaneous documentation deadline 
is 90 days after the end of the financial year. It's interesting because they have this deadline, which is only 90 days. They don't give you a lot of time. Now, another thing to note about Vietnam is that a lot of companies you think is that 90 days from December. Well, it's after the financial year end. And there are a lot of companies who have fiscal year end, which ends in March, which is very similar to India having that statutory fiscal year end of March 31. So at that point, what becomes the deadline for handing in transfer pricing documentation? So Vietnam's contemporaneous documentation deadline is actually pretty aggressive, Matt. So it's actually 90 days from the end of the financial year, right? So if your financial year ends in December, that documentation has to be prepared by March 31st, or basically by March 31st. If you have a fiscal year end of March, then basically that documentation has to be prepared by the end of June. So it's it's within 90 days, but it's it's pretty aggressive in the overall scheme of things. They're one of the more, uh, they're one of the countries that have very uh, high accelerated timelines. This is actually an important question because when they actually come and ask you for the documentation, you have about 15 days, right? That's it. And that's really significant in the overall scheme of things because 15 days is never enough time is definitely not enough time to produce documentation at that point, which because it wouldn't be contemporaneous if as a company you had elected to take a reactive approach to documentation. Right. You, you've heard me use this analogy before, but with a lot of these jurisdictions that can only put so many resources behind their tax agencies, they kind of become like a teacher with too many kids in the classroom. Yeah. There seems to be a lot of leeway for behavior at first, but the penalties are steep if you get caught. <laughs> That's 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 not a bad analogy, Matt. <laughs> I, I try my best. Now, which transfer pricing methods are acceptable in Vietnam? So the the methods are are very much aligned with the methods that you would see from the OECD guidelines or your standard transfer pricing regulatory environment. The comparable uncontrolled price method, which is that cup method, that direct price comparison. You'll also be able to apply a resale price method. Um, which is also a transaction-based analysis uh, that looks at the resale of good intercompany purchases or the cost plus, which is the sale of goods to related parties on a gross margin basis. You can also apply the transactional net margin method, which we see, we've talked about, is probably applied 80 to 90% of the time in practice, just because it's much easier to apply and the comparability requirements are not as rigid. And then finally, you can also apply the profit split if you needed to. Right. right. Now, is there an hierarchy or a preference in terms of methods? So there's no hierarchy of methods, but what you tend to see, especially in emerging market jurisdictions where there's a lack of local knowledge about transfer pricing and a lack of experience, you tend to see that they gravitate towards the cup method. And, and they gravitate towards this because it's the easiest method to understand conceptually. If I pay a price to a third party for a product and I get that same product from a related party, then the prices I should pay should be the same, right? It's a direct price comparison. Right. And I think with the last few jurisdictions of this kind that we've covered, let's call them the overwhelmed teacher jurisdictions, 
I'm noticing that they're emerging economies. The cup method comes up at least on the tangible or manufacturing side. And when it comes to profit-based methods, the TNMM comes up a lot. In terms of the application of the method, I think the, the issue here is that along the lines of your overwhelmed class analogy, Matt, it actually suits it really well because I think it's an educational issue. I mean, it's a it's a knowledge issue. To your point, it's not only are the teachers overwhelmed, but they aren't given the tools necessary in order to manage the classroom. So, so that's, I think, the challenge that we see. Can you tell I went to public school? <laughs> And all the good that it did me. Now, when it comes to benchmarking analysis, does Vietnam require local comparables? They do. It's really interesting, right? Because you think a country like Vietnam, how am I going to find local comparables? Are there really a sufficient number of local independent comparables that are operating similarly to my tested party? Even though the answer is probably, there's probably not that many potentially comparable companies that meet that minimum requirement, it's still a requirement. They want to look at local comps. And if you cannot find local comps, you have to demonstrate that you've looked for local comps and then only then expand it to countries that have similar market conditions, right? They want to make sure that you are comparing as much apples to apples as much as possible. They're pretty adamant about this because it's an easy way for them to pick at the selection of comparables, right? Actually, this is an important point to make because I think Vietnam, Vietnam has been pretty vocal about the fact that multinationals open up operations locally to be able to take advantage of a lower cost base, just generally speaking. They open up a manufacturing facility in Vietnam, which reduces their overall cost base versus opening up that manufacturing facility, let's say in France or in the US or you know, in developed countries where it is more expensive overall, right? And Vietnam has been challenging the notion of using to rely on the routine return for these so-called uh, activities in developed markets because it's basics of economics once again right it's hey if you are operating in a in a perfect market under perfect conditions right where everyone's competing then all that profit and the the margins are going to equalize right they're going to equalize to a certain point. That's what we economists refer to as a routine return. And in Vietnam, because they're still a developing market, because they're a developing country, because they have this lower cost structure and lower barriers to entry, they're saying our margins are higher. So you can't give us a marginal return that is reflective of a routine return that you would see in a US or in France. You need to give us a marginal return based on these types of developing markets where you would be able to enjoy higher levels of profit and margin because you're able to reduce your cost. 
And you see here that single-year testing is preferred in the interquartile range using Excel is acceptable. There's no need for a benchmarking search every year. Other information can be requested by the tax authority, annual reports, website snapshots, etc. Uh, a lot of kind of rewarding the good students in this situation not to keep going back to that teacher's analogy. But, you know, I think I think the idea here in this situation, though, right, is why does this matter to them? Well, if a multinational is going to enjoy that excess profit, if you will, I'll call it excess for now, but I don't really mean it. <laughs> if they're going to enjoy uh, higher profits, let's just say that higher profits, because they're able to reduce their costs by opening up this manufacturing facility in Vietnam. Right. Vietnam is ultimately saying, hey, we should get a piece of that, right? Like we should get a piece of that because there's, it's the same concept that China came out with many years ago. There's a location savings concept. Right. The best way to control for that is by looking for local comps. Of course. Now, considering everything that we've discussed so far, how likely is the chance of a transfer pricing audit in Vietnam? It's actually pretty high. I mean, it is... If you think about it, their thresholds are extremely low. They're looking at companies who only have tax revenues of around $2.2 million. That's, that's not high. Um, and a lot of the multinationals operating in Vietnam are going to be subsidiaries and are going to have related party revenues that are going to trigger that threshold. So we know that in Vietnam, there has been a significant shift and attention spent towards transfer pricing um, and, and looking at that as really an opportunity to help bolster their taxable income. Of course. Now, considering everything we were saying a moment ago about methodology, how likely is it that methodology will be challenged in a transfer pricing audit? So it's it's just as likely as as any country. I mean, I think in some cases, when you talk about Vietnam, they might even challenge it more. I mean, as I was stating before, if you're applying a, a TNMM, they might challenge that a little bit more than, let's say, you know, if you're applying a cup method, right? Just because they understand the cup method better. But in the case of a TNMM, they could easily challenge that selection of comparables because the question becomes, what's the likelihood of actually being able to identify local comparables? And then if you haven't identified local comparables, have you prepared your business case sufficiently enough to say that you can defend your selection of comparables? Are you confident that each of those comparables are in fact operating in markets similar to Vietnam? And if your methods are challenged, how likely is it that you'll get an adjustment? If, if, if they're questioning your method, then they're looking to adjust you, right? Right. <laughs> because of the limited resources, we know that clearly if they're going to come back with questions and, and they're going to challenge the method, then they're looking for the justification to apply that adjustment. So it's very likely. Indeed. And it's time for our second CPE code word. And that code word is grand as in the Grand Palais built for the 1902 to 1903 World's Fair in Hanoi, Vietnam. 
Returning to our conversation, what types of transactions do the Vietnamese tax authorities pay special attention to? So they're going to be looking at loss making companies, clearly. Right. I think that's always a trigger in anyone's mind. Hey, why are you losing money? What's the situation? They're also going to be looking at subsidiaries of large multinationals because if you're a bigger company, you have deeper pockets, right? <laughs> there's there's opportunity there. They're also going to make sure to look at companies who have tax incentives or tax holidays. They're going to want to make sure that that's not being taken advantage of in any way. As per usual, the tax authority is, is going to want to rotate through and make sure they're looking at companies who have perhaps not been audited in many years. And so those are the types of things that they're going to be looking for from an audit perspective. And then because they have the visibility from country by country reporting, they're also going to want to look at perhaps where you have higher value added type of transactions, right? Royalties service fees. Actually, service fees are a huge area of concern in Vietnam. And then why? Because in many situations, the operation that's set up in Vietnam is getting allocated a lot of management service charges from the headquarters, right? And so that's a big point of contention. Number one, because, well, hey, it reduces the taxable income in Vietnam. But more importantly, I think the argument that I've been hearing is, well, we can source these services at a much lower cost locally in Vietnam. You should be prepared for those types of arguments in order to justify that type of service. Unfortunately, if they are headquartered type of services being allocated inbound to Vietnam, those types of services, you can't source them from a third party. They're beneficial to the recipient. And not only are they beneficial, but they cannot be obtained through a third party and they're not duplicative and they're not deemed shareholder services. You have to go through that process to be able to justify the allocation of costs. I think that's a big area of contention these days. It is. Now, Vietnam is yet another country that is paying more and more attention to transfer pricing writ large a recent Ernst & Young transfer pricing survey indicates that only 27% of companies have integrated technology into their tax departments for transfer pricing purposes. 81% are still relying on tax documents. What problems do you see with that, especially with a jurisdiction like Vietnam? What opportunities are being missed? I think there are a lot of opportunities being missed. Number one, being able to understand how transfer pricing plays within the overall framework of the organization, that's an important opportunity that's being missed because perhaps there is an opportunity that's going to benefit your organization better, that's going to help bolster your narrative and reduce your risk. If you're not doing this, then you're missing out on that opportunity to reduce your risk. I also think that, you know, relying on text documents is problematic because the document, it's only good if you can actually locate it, right? And I do have to say, I find that one of the biggest challenges of relying on text documents and just internally prepared memos is finding it and locating it because people leave organizations, right? It's inevitable. There's, there's natural attrition. Um, and so when people leave organizations, it's not as if you can get into their brain and say, where would I save this file, right? So 
<laughs> while it may exist out on some network, you know, you're, you're beholden to the file structure that the last person used. That's really sort of a different angle to think about why text Word documents and and the lack of technology creates challenges within an organization. It's sort of a, a very operational and practical approach to address that question, Matt. Indeed. And I think especially this episode, the last few that we've done on these kind of more particular jurisdictions, not necessarily the ones that are armed to the teeth with resources and technology, your Canada's, your Australia's, for example. It's also the Vietnam's, the New Zealand's that predicate the need for technology to keep up, not just with the Australia's and Canada's, but the entire world. That's right. And in order to reduce your risk, you should try to address the preferences. Of course you should. And this is all to underscore the core educational lesson. We do have a product out there for this particular problem. It is a technology-based solution. We're very proud of it. But the bottom line here from a lesson to take away from this is that this is an arms race. You need to arm yourself with technology no matter what, no matter who's selling what. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Technology, hands down, there's no doubt in anyone's mind that technology has to have a bigger role in the tax space. And even in emerging market jurisdictions and difficult tax jurisdictions where where there's heavy investment and heavy investigation. So, And just a brief recap for everyone before we head into our rapid fire round. Vietnam may not be an official member of the OECD, but they do rely on OECD guidelines to write regulations and have implemented BEPS Action 13's triple file requirements starting from May 2017. Principally, there are four disclosure forms for transfer pricing documentation. There's Form 01, the disclosure on related party relationships and related party transactions. Form 02, that's the checklist for the local file. Form 03, the checklist for the master file. And Form 04, or the CBCR, and that's for companies with an ultimate parent company in Vietnam with global consolidated revenue of at least 18 quadrillion, that's right, Vietnamese dong. Now that's 777,331,800 U.S. dollars. That also includes having operation in many countries or territories. Now, while single-year testing is preferred and there's no need for a benchmarking search every year, we also rate that there is a medium chance your methodology will be challenged, as the Vietnamese authority prefers the CUP method. That's the comparable uncontrolled price method. If you use the transactional net margin method, there could be challenges around the selection of comparables and the comparability of the selected comparables. If your methods are challenged, it's very likely that you will receive an audit. The Vietnamese authority pays attention particularly to loss-making companies, large enterprises, companies that have not been inspected or examined in a long time, companies enjoying tax incentives, and high-value transactions like royalties, service fees, interest, and production costs like material and labor. We categorize the jurisdiction overall as having a medium to high overall transfer pricing risk, and that's likely to increase in the future. We also want to read some recent stories about Vietnam from our friends at M&E Tax who help make our news podcast, that's the Fiona Show Hot Off the Press, what it is today. 
First, in January 2020, Vietnam's government issued new transfer pricing regulations effective from December 2020 to replace all former regulations. That sounds comprehensive and negates the whole purpose of this episode, and that's not what happened. Under new decree 132, taxpayers with cross-border related party transactions during the tax year must lodge the transfer pricing declaration form, that's form 01, you might remember, as an appendix to the annual income tax filing. As audited financial statements are usually available a month or two after the end of the fiscal year for most companies, this cuts short the time taxpayers have to undertake the comparison, discuss with related parties, and decide whether a self-adjustment should be made. This can make things very messy for an already lightning-fast 15-day submission deadline for transfer pricing documentation upon request. Elsewhere, not too long after the decree, the OECD on February 1st, 2020, published assessments of the cross-border tax dispute resolution processes in over a dozen countries, including Vietnam. Each jurisdiction's practices were assessed against BEPS minimum standards established by the OECD in 2013. The inclusive framework also plans to follow up on whether targeted recommendations for these 13 nations following the assessment are on track to being adopted. So keep your eyes on that as we headlong into the future for this jurisdiction. Now on to our rapid fire round. Note to multinational companies everywhere, if you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, big four. We've got the answer. Cross-border solutions, AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of Cross-Border Solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp that's xbs.ai slash tp which all brings us to our rapid fire final round of questions we love to ask our guests fun times all right you got that's some new right. questions we do have new questions mimi but always question one is are you ready i'm ready <laughs> question one what is the most challenging part of preparing transfer pricing documentation to you Sometimes it's just gathering the information or finding the right people to speak with. And, and this is ultimately, I think, a challenge that everyone has um, in all organizations. It's where do you get the right information? Indeed. Now, I know this job is fun for you, <laughs> but for our next question, what makes this career fun for you? I think it's the people, right? I think it's the people. I think it's the continuous learning environment. I think... It's the ability to be creative, a little bit of all of that. Yeah. 
And the feeling's mutual if we're all talking about the same people. Now, if you were hiring a transfer pricing executive right now, which skills would you be looking for the most? I feel like the word that comes to mind is flexibility, right? I, I'm, I, you know, I think tax professionals historically have been rigid, right? And then, and things, it's, it's either black or white, it's this or that, or I'm not doing this because of that, or I don't know. It's, but so I'm, these days I feel like flexibility is key and flexibility as well as, as well as curiosity, right? Because the environment that we're operating in, there's so many opinions of where the direction of transfer pricing is going to go and so many different perspectives, and I feel like it's important to absorb all that and then figure out what works best for your clients, for your customers, for your organization. I think that's what I'm really looking for these days. Indeed, especially considering how in 2020 we could look back at coronavirus and this entire year in as much a cataclysmic light as we do 2015 and BEPS or even what we're seeing on the global digital tax front with Pillar 1 and Pillar 2 debates. Oh, that's right. I mean, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if three years from now or maybe five years from now uh, um, we're we're talking about transfer pricing and, and we're having a very different conversation so and they will be conversations we will be continuing on this podcast <laughs> now uh, in speaking of the best ways to handle stress how do you handle your most stressful moments these days you know i i handle it through hugs and kisses with my children <laughs> i think i think that's that's really while they might while they may be the cause of stress at certain moments in time um there's nothing a hug cannot cure except for a transfer pricing audit <laughs> <laughs> if only they could now considering that they don't what advice do you have for multinationals everywhere when it comes to their transfer pricing uh, what's what advice do i have my advice is to don't be complacent <laughs> Right. Um, right. And and I think this is just in life and in management of transfer pricing. Don't be complacent because the minute you feel as if everything is is fine and dandy, that's when you run the risk of getting surprised and and perhaps getting into a little bit of trouble. So don't be complacent. Yes. And I think one of the advantages of, of being caught in times like COVID-19, or at least times where there's so much going wrong that we can't even help, is that there's sort of a gravitational pull against complacency. And maybe this whole moment is about falling into that gravitational pull and using that to be as proactive as you can be. Oh, my gosh. I think that's even better advice. Clean your closets, yeah, right? Right. Because we're all I mean, I mean, this is. <laughs> both physically and metaphorically clean your closets. We're all quote home, right? right. <laughs> so that, that actually might be even better advice, man. Crowded classrooms and crowded closets. I'm full of good metaphors today. <laughs> Much to the chagrin of my fiance who tells me I'm bad at them. But Mimi, 
We want to thank you so much for being on the program again. It's always, always a pleasure to have you. Well, thank you, Matt, for having me again, as usual. So I really appreciate it. Of course. And we want to thank everyone at home for tuning in as well. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. While you're there, don't forget to check out our news podcast in transfer pricing. That's the Fiona Show, Hot Off the Press. All of your transfer pricing headlines and reg changes from around the world in under 10 minutes. I'm Matthew DeMello, and they're crazy enough to let me host, edit, and engineer this podcast. Christy Clements is our associate producer. Mary Lynn Mitchum-Strom is our executive producer. Until next week, everyone, stay safe and wear a mask. 